Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. We will continue what we were reading and meditating on this morning, Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. That can be found on page 1,100 of your pew Bibles. This morning we looked at verses 22 through 25a. We were contemplating anxiety and fear, the questions that Jesus asks, where is your faith and what that means, and the storms that we face. This evening, we turn our attention to the second half of verse 25 and see the question of the disciples. So this morning, we focused on the question of Jesus towards the disciples. This evening, we especially focus on the question the disciples ask of Jesus, who then is this? Before we read, let's pray. O God, grant to us further wisdom and understanding as we come before your word, and may you reveal here in these verses the majesty and grandeur of Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that it would be in his powerful name, in his identity, in who he is and how he cares for us and how you care for us, that we would find our answer to a strong faith as well as to the fears we face. We ask this in his name. Amen. Reading the text again, verses 22 through 25. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey? So really the verses we focus on this evening are actually verses 24 and the second half of 25, so I'm going to read those again. Verse 24 And they went and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Tonight we pick up where we left off this morning. As I said this morning, we were focusing more on that anxiety and fear and Jesus' question of faith to his disciples. But now we turn our our attention to a magnificent display of power and might. This text is amazing. This text portrays before us Jesus Christ in, in a profound way. In a way that ought to make us stop and wonder. And actually, as we ended the the sermon this morning and said, what is the answer to fear? What is the answer when we have weak faith? Well, it's to be afraid of the Lord of the storm more than the storm itself. And that's what we focus on this evening, the Lord of the storm, the Lord of the waters, the Lord of the wind, and what he does that we might see and praise him, but connect that to that practicality of it is in him and our knowledge of him by which we respond to fear and to storms. For we have the Lord of all in the boat with us. How do we have strong faith? Well, we look at the giver of faith and we see him as he is. 
We see his power and his might, and we see him as he is for us. Say that again, we see him as he is for us, for his people, his disciples. Make no mistake that though Jesus may have rebuked the disciples and called out properly their weak faith, what he was doing here was for them. And even the power that he exercises over nature itself was one that spared their life when they were in danger and they were perishing. And he extends forth that power and illustrates and shows what he is capable of and why their trust in him is not in vain and why our trust in him is not in vain. If you were to read the Gospels, just like any other book, What the Gospels would be doing would be expanding on who Jesus is. And each narrative, and each story, miracle, and parable relate this this story of Jesus. And you build on the character. Just like any book does, there's character development. Well, the Gospels do that as well. And as we would see in this miracle, we we would be adding to our picture of Jesus' identity. And we would say, wait a second. Look what he just did to nature itself. We've seen him exercise control and authority over it before, but not in this way. We've seen him have a miraculous catch of fish. We've seen him drive out demons. We've seen him heal. We've seen him raise from the dead. But now he extends power over a vast range of nature. And so you're adding to it like the character in the book, like the main character. Look what he does now. And we build upon it. This miracle offers this this response as well as Jesus' ability to protect his people. But like I said this morning, nothing has of yet faced the disciples to this degree. This is a personal danger, a threat to their life. So how does how does their master, their teacher, their their rabbi, how does he respond to this? Is he able to respond to threats to their own life? And Jesus shows that he is indeed able to do that. I really want us to see how amazing, all of God's word is, but as we're here in Luke 8, how amazing Luke 8 is. Luke 8 is one of my favorite places in the New Testament, my favorite passages in the New Testament. What I particularly love about it is the grandeur of Jesus. You see, there are what's called in sports or athletes highlight reels. Highlight reels are where you take the, the most uh, impressive moves and, and most impressive feats done and, and you put it and there's clips of it. And you just go from one to the other and you see this amazing move and then this amazing steal and this amazing block and, and you put them all together and it's just one amazing thing after another. And this isn't just in the world of sports. This is what rulers would do. They would try to magnify their name. They would build monuments for themselves and arches. And they would write their names on cities. And they would write their exploits on stones so that others would be able to see how terrific and magnificent this ruler was. Well, there's Luke 8. In fact, all the Gospels do this. There, there really is a lot of accuracy to say the Gospels are a highlight reel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you could say the Bible is a highlight reel of God because it's revealing the magnificent acts of God by which he saves his people. One of my favorite Old Testament texts is Job 38, when God answers Job out of the whirlwind. What I love about that is the authority of God and his power just drips from the page. Who is this that speaks without wisdom? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's what God says to Job. 
You see, he responds to tell Job that he is the one who knows all. He is the one who has all power. And the chapters just extend on in Job, and it's just one thing after another, describing what God does and who he is. And what I would say is Luke 8 in the New Testament for me is what Job 38 in the Old Testament is, is for God. That's what Luke 8 is for Jesus in the New Testament. Again, that's my own personal preference, but I'm saying this because I I want to draw our attention to how beautiful this is. Jesus right here extends power over nature, the likes of which we couldn't imagine. And then right after that, he sails to another region, and, and a legion of demons flee before him. And then after that, he goes and he heals a woman who had a, a discharge of blood for years who couldn't be healed. And then after that, he raises a girl from the dead. It's a highlight reel. It's one thing after another showing us who our Savior is. That's why it is so impressive. That's why it is such a blessing to us. And that is also how do we overcome a weak faith? How do we overcome even fears and anxieties? It's by setting your gaze on one such as him. Your Savior. He who cares. And so that's what we want to do. We want to see the master of the seas here. This is what we want to do. We want to climb into the boat. And that's the the reason for this text, that we would climb into the boat with the disciples and we would find ourselves in complete amazement of what we see Jesus do. That we could sit there and just be in awe of it. That Christ, our advocate, our representative, that even, and this is a special way of putting it, our groom. What he's able to do. We're the bride, right? We're the church of Christ. And what we're seeing here as the bride, looking at the bridegroom, is how magnificent our, do, our, our future husband, our, our promised one is. Young, young wife, one who is recently engaged, is always willing to tell you of the, the grandeur, let's put it that way, of her fiancé, of how much she loves him. To regale anyone with his exploits. She would be no more proud than to see him succeed while we are the church. And and who do we have before us? Who is our bridegroom but one who stands up in the boat and breaks a storm? With a word. With power on behalf of his people. You see, that's, that's how we overcome it. This is the fear of God. The disciples despaired of their life when they encountered a storm, and it ends with them having a greater fear of the man who had been sleeping in their boat. They were afraid of their life in the storm. They are terrified of the one who stands before them, of one they thought they knew. And ask that question, who then is this? The way of wisdom for God, what we see in God's word, is to trust him. The way of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, Psalm 27 is saying, In wisdom look to the Lord, and and then what can you be afraid of? When you see him for who he is, he is our light and salvation. Whom shall we fear when we have him? Now, none of this would be true if he wasn't one who cared for us in return. We ended this morning and we were talking about how the disciples had that question, especially in Mark's account of the gospel when they awoke Jesus and said, 
Master, we're perishing. Teacher, we're perishing. Don't you care? And we said this morning that he certainly does care, but I want to address that more fully so that we understand just who's in our boat. How does he care for us? Isaiah 40, 27 through 31 says this about the very care of our Lord. Isaiah 40, 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall faint. They shall walk and not faint. That's the one in our boat. That's the one who cares, who cares for us and will give to his people strength to the faint-hearted. More than young men possess, more than what the vigor of youth can provide, even, even the one in, in the, the most fit shape a man can be will grow weary, will grow faint with exertion. But even the weak of God find themselves strengthened like eagles that can fly and soar. He's the one who's in our boat. And that's what we ask. That's what the disciples ask. Who then is this? And the answer first that we look at this evening is he's the Lord of the waters. Who then is this? The Lord of the waters. We left that narrative this morning. Jesus calmed the sea. Remember what happened? It instantly grew calm in a supernatural way. The voice of man spoke to the waves and to the wind, and they ceased. They stopped. He awoke. There he was sleeping. They come before him, and he stands and speaks, and it's instant. How can that happen? The text literally says the wind and waves cease. These hurricane force winds, this, this earthquake on the water, stops. Notice the depth of this miracle, boys and girls. If you're in a pool, and you're jumping in and out of the pool, and you're making waves, or you take that inner tube and you stand in the center of a pool, if it's a circular pool especially, and what do you do? Take that inner tube, you're in the middle of it, you're jumping up and down, you're creating waves. It's a wave pool doesn't take much, and pretty soon the whole pool is wavy, water splashing over the sides and out the walls. Well, what happens when you stop jumping? Does the pool just instantly go calm? No. It takes time. It takes time for the waves to lose their energy. It takes time for the water to calm down, but that's not what happened here. The waves that are swamping the boat, the wind that's stirring them up just stops. How eerie. How scary is that? Your teacher who was asleep stood up and just spoke and did that? Would that not inspire greater fear of him? And, and why greater fear? Because what they thought was their chief danger, he proved himself to have more power than. Who has more power than the waves, than the wind? Well, the man in their boat does. That ought to cause anyone to shudder, to respect and fall down in awe, and that is exactly what they did. They, they say, who then is this? This 
blowing, gusty wind that's whipping the entire sea finds itself stilled. You see, Jesus didn't just time it correctly. He didn't just have impeccable timing when the storm broke, and nor does a storm break like that. The winds don't just stop, and as we said, the waves don't just cease, but they did at his command. He defied what nature should have done in our case. Have you ever went outside in a bad storm and rebuked it? Have you ever walked outside and the wind is whipping around and in the midst of lightning and thunder you yell out, Stop! It's quite ridiculous. Our voice has no power. It doesn't even carry over the wind and the rain and the thunder and the lightning. And yet Jesus just uses, and it's that word rebuked. Stop it. Cease. And it did. In this text, we see both the humanity of Jesus and his deity. We see it clearly. As a man, he was exhausted enough to sleep, and to sleep through such an event. And yet, as God, he stands up and rebukes the wind and waves. That's what J.C. Ryle says. As a man, he had slept. As God, he stilled the storm. Who then is this in our boat? Why is this miracle incredible? Why does this fill the disciples with fear? Well, we already said just these, these natural things would cause them to be afraid, but there's more to it. And this is what I really wanted to dig into. It, it extends beyond just, he has great power. It extends to what they know about God himself. We won't properly understand the disciples' fear unless we understand what the Old Testament says about the winds and the waves and who has control over them. If you take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 93, unless if you have your Bibles out already, just flip there, Psalm 93, 3. What I want us to do is, is flip to many of these texts that we would see it, that we would establish the background for what's going on. Like I said, it is one thing to be afraid of just a man because of his power. It's another thing when we start putting the pieces together and realize if he has power over the seas, who does that make him? Psalm 93, beginning in verse 3. The floods have lifted up. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. That's where we'll stop in Psalm 93. If you would turn to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 3. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. If you would turn to Psalm 135, verse 7. Psalm 135, 7. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Now you don't need to turn there. We'll be going back. I'm just going to read one isolated verse. It fits better in this range. Psalm 18, 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Now what we start seeing is that it is... So not only is God the one who has power over the waves and wind and oceans and storms, and it is only God who has that. It is only God who can deliver from these things. 
Romans, Psalm 18, 16, as it says, he sent from on high and took me, he drew me out of many waters. You don't need to turn here as well. This is an isolated verse. Nahum 1, 4, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. But now if you would turn to Psalm 107, and we will read an extended passage here. Psalm 107, verses 23 to 30. One hundred seven twenty three. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. By reading these texts, you see the point. Only the Lord God himself, Yahweh, the one, has the power to do these things. Only he can still the storm, only he can deliver from it. The waters in that day were themselves a depiction of chaos, were themselves a depiction of death. The waters in that day and age were judgment. Remember, how did God choose to judge the earth? A flood. How did God judge Egypt and their armies? It was through the waters of the sea. Even in the imagery of baptism, we still retain that idea of a judgment. Now it's a judgment that Christ bore through us, and so we are cleansed through it. But in the waters, there is this judgment and destruction. But it is the Lord who delivers. It is the Lord who commands. And no one, no thing, can harness the power of the sea and still it with their voices. So when they ask, who then is this, you have to imagine they're thinking of texts like these, who is this in our boat? So the answer, who then is this, well, he's the Lord of the waves, he's the Lord of the waters, he's the Lord of the storm. And then we ask in our second point, who then is this, the protector of his people? Who then is this, the protector of his people? Who but divinity can handle nature like this? Who can calm waves? Well, this reveals then Jesus' identity, and it also reveals it now in relation to his own people. God isn't just out there spinning the waves according to his his designs. It's it's spinning the waves and, and, and making the storms come and go all for the purpose of his greater plan and all for the good of his people. The one who commands the storms and the waves. The one who commands, as we talked about this morning, the things that bring to us fear is the Lord himself. Miracles have many functions. One commentator talks about the threefold functions of miracles, and we see that here. First, a miracle drives home Jesus' identity, and we see that. Jesus is the God-man. We see that driven home here in his actions. Second, miracles show that and demonstrate the authority that Jesus possesses. And especially here we see that Jesus exercises control of forces that otherwise would overwhelm them. 
And we're beginning to answer and see why they should not be afraid, why their faith can be strong. You see, Jesus exercises these controls and and the control of these things, and the point is to promise deliverance from these forces, but not that any time they arise, not that we will always be spared from them and their great peril, but rather it's showing Jesus is aware and always able to deliver. It may be deliverance through trial rather than from the trial. It has to be brought, you have to be brought through it rather than just removed from it. But one is to apply faith in such situations to remember that Jesus is the one we place our trust in and he cares. That's the third function of these miracles, that Jesus is able and aware to deliver and protect his people. It's exactly what he does to the disciples. That's what Psalm 107 said, bringing those who were oppressed by the storms into their safe haven again. The Lord is able to deliver, and he does. God is our refuge and strength. He is our very present help in trouble. He has a louder voice than the waves. And he does this for the protection of his people. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The truth of Jesus' identity and his care makes that question that Jesus asked, where is your faith, all the more stark. When you start understanding who's in the boat, it actually becomes quite amazing that the disciples would have any fear. Now that's not to say they understood this. At this point, they did not. They didn't grasp it fully. But we can see the truth of it. We can see the point. The one who made the earth and the one who had a moment's command can awake from a nap and stop a storm. He's our Lord. Why would you fear the storms when the Lord of the storm is in your boat? Why would we fear though the earth gives way when the God who made it is our God? And not just our God, a God who cares deeply for his people. That's the answer. How do we have strong faith? How do you withstand the storms of life? By fearing the Lord of the storm more than the storm itself. You set your mind on these things. You, you read these texts and put them before you. And what, how do we respond when the trial comes? It's uh, the Lord is in control and he's the one who calmed the waves and the wind. He has more than enough power to do all that he will in my life. And then it just becomes that matter of trust. Do we trust that? Do we hold to that? Jesus has displayed time and again and here is, is ample proof enough. He's up to the task. That's what also he's showing his disciples. He's up to the task, and and they should trust it, as should we. He has more than enough power. Often our fear is so clearly a direct witness to how little we understand who our Savior is and the power that he has and his authority and his providence. In these chapters, we see the importance of having faith in the midst of trial. We see that Jesus' exceptional control over nature and the seas parallel the power of God in the Old Testament himself, and and that makes sense because he is God. He is the one who of the Psalms has 
the voice louder than the seas. And the question raised is that that question we're to reflect on, who is this who can do these things? Luke's emphasis up to this point has largely been on the teaching of Jesus. It's largely been on what Jesus taught his disciples, or in a narrative, what he said was the point of the text he was teaching and proclaiming. Well, Luke 8 and beyond sort of shifts a bit, and what we see is that displayed. In the beginning of chapter 8, remember, there was the parable of the sowers, the sower and the seed. And the point of that was what seed, the word of God, when it comes into the soil, what soil will produce fruit? And we see the examples of that. Are, are, are we the soil who will respond to the storms of life and produce this fruit? Produce the fruit of faith. And then each narrative after that just continues to establish in action, not necessarily in Jesus' teaching, but how he acts, who he is. The Lord of nature here. The Lord of all the spiritual world in the next text. Lord of illness and disease, and then in chapter 9, we see him multiply bread and provide for his people through feeding 5,000. We see him transfigured on the mountain and shown to the, the disciples his glory and magnificence. Brothers and sisters, he's the one in our boat. That's the point. He's the one with us. And so we will not fear for the Lord of all things is with us, and he cares. What a Savior we witness in this boat. Man, yet God. Teacher, Master. In this story, he as a man needs sleep. As God, he quiets the storm. As teacher, he instructs the disciples concerning their faith. As Messiah, he illustrates that he's the protector of the people, able to respond to their need for security. He illustrates his care. Who then is this? Well, now we are in a favorable position to answer the disciples' question. We can say with complete clarity what they were only beginning to, to question and grasp. Only the Lord God, only Yahweh can do these things. How can he? And now we can answer who is this? The Son of God, our Savior. Fix your gaze on him through the trials of life through the storms of life, fix your gaze on him and trust in his care. He cares enough to hold you, and he has the hands that can. This is our Lord, and what better picture for the bride of Christ to look upon than this? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you as your, your bride, your betrothed. And we are in awe of who is our promised one, of who we await in that marriage feast of the Lamb and his people. We see in you one who is fully equipped, fully able to protect his bride. We see your power that you display and have. There is no limit to it. In fact, for you to do just what you did those many years ago on the sea was nothing strenuous. It didn't deplete your power in any way. It didn't take anything from you. And Lord, we are reminded then in our trials that 
that the Lord of the storm is the Lord with us, that the Lord with us is he who cares, who gives to us strength, who gives to us the measure that we need in the day that we are in. Increase then our faith and help us to respond to the storms of life by fearing the Lord of the storm, by fearing you more than the storm itself. We ask this in your great name. Amen.